What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the K-Lot Podcast on SportsTalkPhilly.com. I'm Denny Basins, joined by Tucker Bagley. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Denny. I'm excited to get back to, uh, to Eagles football after, after a long, long bye week. Yeah, Tucker, whenever your team's 8-1, and one, that bye week always seems like it takes forever to get through. I'm, I'm definitely ready to see the Eagles uh, resume their season as well. And also joining us once again, Jesse Larch. How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, the Eagles had a bit of an up-and-down time during their bye week. Every team in the division lost, but all the teams chasing them got wins. So it definitely makes it interesting for this final stretch of the year. Yeah, Jesse, and that's the first thing we're going to get into t- today. Uh, guys, Eagles 8-1, and one, still in sole possession of first place in the NFC. But as you mentioned, Jesse, unfortunately, they weren't able to gain any ground on the teams chasing them over the bye week. Uh, with right now, right now you have three seven and two teams in the NFC that are right on the heels of the Eagles. You have the New Orleans Saints, uh, Los Angeles Rams, and Minnesota Vikings. Who, guys? I I I definitely didn't see any of these three teams. Uh, at this point in the year, being seven and two, and I certainly didn't see the Eagles at eight and one either. But that's the NFL for you. Here we are with these four teams all vying for that top spot. But now, guys, the first thing that we're going to get into today, though, is which of these teams, and in addition to those three teams, we'll also throw other others in there, like the Seattle Seahawks and Carolina Panthers as well. Also in the, also in the mix, still. Uh, which of these teams do you guys think is the the, the Eagles' biggest threat to either win home field advantage or, at the very least, uh, push the Eagles for a, a first-round buy. Um, again, all, all th- just with those first three teams, Saints, Rams, Vikings, all 7-2. and two. But, uh, I mean, you look at them, they, they've certainly got strengths and weaknesses, whether it be youth in some areas or um, issues at the quarterback position in the case of the Vikings. But... Uh, Tucker, which one of these teams do you see as the uh, Eagles' biggest threat at the moment? Uh, their biggest threat, I would say, is the Saints right now. Um, they're absolutely rolling. They've won seven in a row after losing their first two. They're running the ball. Their defense is suffocating uh, the opposition. And they have Drew Brees you know, at the helm. With a, with a veteran quarterback like that, I definitely think I would put them ahead of teams like the Rams and Vikings, who are currently rolling with Jared Goff and, and Case Keenum at quarterback. Um, the Seahawks I may put second, but but they're now now two games behind the Eagles. So so I would definitely say I think this, the Saints are probably the, the top contender for, for the Eagles spot right now. Yeah, Tucker, and when you look at New Orleans, uh, I think definitely the most surprising thing about them has been just how well their defense has come on since the start of the season. I mean, when you – when you think about the Saints in recent years, I mean, the, the story with them for probably about the last four or five years now has been, you know, the offense is still strong as ever with a uh, Drew Brees in place. But uh, for as many points as that offense was able to score, their defense um, gave up uh, ju- just as many plus another 10 or 15 more per game. So, you know, the Saints over the last few years had just been stuck in kind of a uh, – a seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven kind of run, and, and until this year, until they finally were able to add some good young guys, like a Marshawn Lattimore, who's quickly becoming one of the top young cornerbacks in the league. I mean, New Orleans just hasn't been able to find that balance. But now, but now, even though Drew Brees' play might have slipped just a little bit, I mean, that offense is still very good. I mean, they're still operating with uh, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram are, are doing uh, great work as the team's running back tandem. 
And But now when you add a, a defense that's even somewhat serviceable to that picture, it makes the Saints a, a very dangerous team. But, uh, Jesse, what about you? Which of the teams do you see as the, as the Eagles' biggest threat? I agree that New Orleans is definitely a big threat. Um, the biggest thing with New Orleans is that they haven't had the lean on Drew Brees yet. And I think if the season goes on and they start to put more of the passing attack into the offense, it's just going to be one more thing to have to worry about with that Saints team. Um, of the five teams you mentioned, though, the Vikings, the Saints, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Panthers, I lean towards Minnesota only because New Orleans and Carolina are in the same division. They have games left with each other. The Rams and the Seahawks have games left with each other. And the Rams and the Seahawks both still have games with us. Um, so a lot of the top teams actually have to face each other down the road. And I think what's most concerning is the Eagles get to be in their own destiny, but Minnesota has this division where they have Cincinnati, Green Bay, Chicago, Detroit. I mean, they have a lot of favorable matches coming up. They do play the Rams in Carolina, but I think Minnesota's schedule is more suitable to the end of the season. Yeah, the yeah the Vikings, definitely the biggest thing they have going in their favor is they have a softer schedule than those other teams. But for me, with Minnesota, like I, I keep, I just can't buy that Case Keenum is going to be a guy who's going to be able to consistently come out and did what he did last week against the Redskins, throwing for nearly 300 yards and four touchdowns. I feel like sooner or later, I mean, that quarterback situation has got to come back down to earth. And whether it's Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater, who even before his injury was just kind of this middling, uh, mediocre quarterback. Uh, uh, I feel like the quarterback position at some point is going to come back to haunt the Vikings a little bit and maybe cost them a key game or two down the stretch. Um, you know, the Rams are an interesting case to me. Uh, I feel, it, and you know, it, like it's it's t- it's hard for me to buy that uh, uh, Jared Goff in this offense uh, is suddenly uh, done a complete 180 from what they were a year ago. But I mean, it just goes to show you maybe how bad a guy like Jeff Fisher was dragging down that organization. I mean. And I think clearly the best thing for the Rams was to get him out of there, get a get a fresh, younger offensive mind like Sean McVay in place. And I mean, the Rams, like I still I mean, like I respect what they're doing right now, but I still don't quite buy them 100 percent at this point. And I mean, to me, like I, I kind of I tend to agree with Tucker that the Saints are probably the biggest threat for the reasons that I'm mentioned earlier but I mean, the other team that I would still always worry about is the Seattle Seahawks and just because you you have to I mean Russell Wilson I think of all the quarterbacks and all those teams is unquestionably the best at this moment I mean he's just become such a clutch player I mean just a guy who especially at home with that home field advantage that Seattle has and when the Eagles go out there in a couple weeks I mean we'll 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 really get an idea of just how how far how, how far along the Eagles are, how ready they are to take on a, a battle-tested playoff-caliber team in that kind of situation. But in Seattle, I mean, I know they suffered a big blow with the loss of Richard Sherman the other week, uh, rupturing his Achilles. I mean, that's a, a big loss to, hit, to their defense. But, I mean, I still it's still a very solid group, a very veteran team. Russell Wilson, as I said, I mean, you can never count out. But now, guys, into our Fast 3, which is three questions for each of our guests. Uh, Jesse, I'll give you the first one. And during the bye week, the Eagles made a couple a couple, a couple, additions to the roster, signing linebacker Danell Ellerby and offensive tackle Will Beatty, um, improving the team's depth, giving, giving the roster a couple more guys that 
uh, have won Super Bowl rings in the past. So, Jesse, what did you make of these signings, and what what kind of what kind of impact do you think they they make for this team? I loved both of these signings. I think they made sense on multiple fronts. Um, first, you lose Jordan Hicks and Jason Peters. So there's an obvious vacancy there at linebacker and offensive tackle. I don't think Ellerby or Beatty will come in and start any games unless someone gets injured or they just absolutely shine in practice. I think Joe Walker and Big V have those two locked down for now just because of familiarity with the system and the coaches. But you're getting two guys who have both won Super Bowls in the past and both won them somewhat recently. Um, Ellerby with the Ravens and then Beatty with the Giants. And with that, you have a team, clearly the Eagles are going for it all. They're trying to win the Super Bowl this year. The Ajayi trade kind of says that. I mean, where the team stands in the league says that. And now you bring in two guys that give you depth where you need it, and you bring in two guys that know how to win in the playoffs. They have seen what it takes to get to the promised land. And with a locker room as strong as the Eagles have, with these guys like a Chris Long, like a Jason Peters, like a Carson Wentz, like a Malcolm Jenkins, you add even more veteran leadership into this room to keep this team focused on the long run. Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. I mean, you, you can't you can't say enough about what you're just adding character guys like that can mean. And then you add them at a point in the year where, I mean, there's no real pressure to have either one of these guys come in and contribute right away or ideally at all. But you're getting them at a time where you can bring them along at like a good good pace, like you know, like get them into game shape through practice get them familiar with the system i mean hopefully you never need to call on either one of them for any significant playing time but there's certainly a pair of accomplished guys that i mean you could do a lot worse in emergency situations than than you could with those two on the on the team but now tucker over to you and the other the the other major little bit of roster news that came out during the team's bye week was that uh, the Eagles locked up uh, defensive tackle Tim Jernigan to a contract extension, keeping him in the fold for an, another four years. Uh, so, Tucker, what was your reaction to that signing? And and uh, and how surprised were you that they were able to get something done and Jernigan would pass up a uh, free agency to settle for a deal now? I certainly was a little surprised. Um, I think the numbers maybe were a little aggressive. You know, I thought if you're going to sign a guy to $12 million a year, it would come after he, he saw the open market and saw what was available to him. For a, for a mid-year extension like this, I thought 12 was was a little high, but maybe a little aggressive for someone like Jernigan. But credit Howie Roseman for going out and getting this guy and getting it done. I think Jernigan's played extremely well this year. Even the couple games the Eagles played without Fletcher Cox, he was sort of able to take over that DT1 role. And, and wreak havoc on the interior. Um, but the big thing moving forward is you now have close to $25 million locked up at defensive tackle for the next couple of years. And I think I think some, some moves are going to have to be made along the defensive line uh, this offseason, whether that's Vinnie Curry or maybe even Brandon Graham, um, just to, to bring the cap hit down a little bit lower there so they can address the other parts of the defense, like linebacker, where Nigel Bradham is a free agent at the end of the year. Um, they just have other other needs they're going to need to address, and they can't lock up this much money at the defensive defensive line. Yeah, Tucker, it's tough to commit that kind of money to four guys, and, and especially when you consider that you know they, they just spent uh, the first-round pick on Derek Barnett. I mean, I agree. I think there's... Uh, there, there's a decent possibility, especially with the way Howie Roseman likes to be creative and aggressive on the trade front. I mean, you, you, you certainly have to think that uh, 
either one of the higher paid guys, whether that's Curry or, or Graham, could be on the move down the line. But for the time being, though, I mean, it gives the Eagle – it definitely – I think it's great to have that kind of security in the fact that you've got – you've got these four key guys and five if you want to throw Barnett in there too that are all locked up under contract for the foreseeable future that gives you a great core to build around for your defense I mean we've seen uh, so many times you know think about the best defenses that have won Super Bowls in recent years whether that be like the Denver Broncos or the New York Giants uh, twice when they shut down Tom Brady in both of those Super Bowls I mean they those were won by dominant defensive lines that were able to get after the quarterback and generate pressure. And I mean, if, if, and, and I think if that's what the Eagles want to uh, build their defense around primarily, then I mean, I think that's a very good formula for success moving forward. But now, Jesse, back over to you. Um, speaking of the defense, uh, Ronald Darby uh, should be set to come back from the uh, ankle injury that he suffered in the first game of the season. Um, Jesse, does Darby start right away? And if he does, whose playing time goes, gets cut? Is it Rasul Douglas, Jalen Mills, or Patrick Robinson that feels uh, the presence of Darby the most? I think Darby does come in and start. I think that's why they held him out. Um, I believe it was him that actually said he could have played two or three weeks ago. But the team made it a point to wait until he was back to 100% to put him in. And I think that was with the intention that they want him to come in and start. And they didn't want him not being at 100% if he was going to take on that role. I think the logical one to take out is Razul Douglas. As good as he has played, Jalen Mills has just stepped up. He's really an emotional player for that defense. And if you take Jalen Mills out of the starting lineup, I think it does more harm than it does if you take Douglas out. I think Patrick Robinson has the slot or the nickel spot locked up, and he continues to play great there. Um, and then with Mills and Darby, I mean, you kind of get, you know, a uh, fire and ice kind of thing where Mills is your physical run-stopping corner. You know, he's very good at making tackles, and then Darby's the speed, he's the flash. So you get a nice balance in the secondary with those two there. Yeah, you know, and uh, I think it's really exciting what the cornerback position uh, looks like right now with Darby coming back and in you know in and Rasul Douglas uh, I think played uh, as well as you anyone could have hoped for during uh, the first half of the season when he was really pressed into duty but uh, I mean I, I think the best part about all this is just the fact that uh, we don't have to hear about the Eagles rushing uh Sidney Jones back either I mean the cornerback the situation the way it's played out uh, the Eagles I don't think he could be any happier with the way things look right now between uh, Darby and Mills who I agree Jesse I think um Mills is going to keep his job on the outside, and and then even a Doug, you have depth with Rasul Douglas and Jalen Watkins still hanging around, and Patrick Robinson has been a tremendous find for the slot. So, uh, I mean, hopefully, hopefully now you, you just see this defense at a uh, at full strength. I mean, obviously not. Well, maybe not full strength, considering that you're still without Jordan Hicks. But uh, I mean, as as close to full strength as you're going to get at this point with Ronald Darby back. And Tucker, uh, now your second question, Alshon Jeffrey through the first nine games, 500 yards, five touchdowns, um, started to break out a little bit over the last two games, especially that Denver game where he found the end zone twice. So the question for you is, over the final seven games, how many yards and scores for Jeffrey over, the, over that final seven? Does the breakout continue or do we see um, more of the, uh, the inconsistent kind of play we saw through the first half? I think the breakout certainly continues. Like you said, you saw a step up in his production over the last two weeks. 
And I think that's just consistent with what Carson Wentz has done in his short career. It takes him a little while to sort of warm up to new receivers. I mean, even looking back to the beginning of last year, his top top targets early in the year were, were Jordan Matthews and Trey Burton, guys that he played with uh, during, during training camp when he was working with the second team and, and rotating in with the first team. And it took a while for him to get used to throwing to Zach Ertz. Um, so I think, I think with Alshon, it's one of those things where he was more comfortable throwing to guys like Nelson Aguilar, Zach Ertz, and now and now things are starting to come around. And with the bye week, I'm sure the the offensive coaching staff are going to try and get Alshon Jeffrey more involved in the offense, just based on how much he's being paid. You need to make sure this guy's guy is producing at a high level. Um, so, as far as his his total stats for the year, I'd probably have him finishing up close. Close to maybe maybe over 900 yards and and seven to to nine touchdowns I think would would be about right and then at that point the Eagles are left with a tough decision on on whether or not you want to resign a guy for that that kind of production or if you think he's gonna break out even more in his second year playing playing as an Eagle. Yeah, Tucker, it's gonna be interesting to see what ends up playing out in the off season there because certainly Jeffrey is probably going to be the most expensive unrestricted free agent that the Eagles have coming out. And it's a team who, yeah, as we mentioned before with the, uh, the Jernigan signing, like didn't have, have a ton of cap room to work with to begin with. And, and now you probably have to get creative in some other areas and you know, like, like someone else uh, with a, a high no- a cap number probably has to go if you want to keep Jeffrey and, and still do other things. But, uh, but I mean, fortunately those are, those are, those, those are really questions that are, um, better serve for down the line since we still have a uh, an, an, another half a season plus playoffs to get through. But now, guys, uh, third question is going to be the same for you both, and that is the Eagles. Eagles are a team that definitely have sustained their share of injuries through the first half of the season. Guys like Jason Peters, Darren Sproles, Jordan Hicks, all di- all went down for the season. But um, and and I think we can all agree that Carson Wentz is the certainly the most indispensable player on the roster, but other than him, guys, uh, who is the, which which is the player that the Eagles can least afford to lose? Uh, Jesse, uh, what do you think? I mean, in all honesty, I'm not sure they can lose another player. Um, I mean, we kind of saw the Cowboys fans get upset that they lost some key players this week, and I know the Eagles side of Twitter was quick to point out how many guys we've lost, but it's really staggering. We haven't had Darby Hicks, uh, Peters. We've had Ertz miss games, Johnson miss games, Cox miss games. I really think if any of these key players miss another game, it could be disastrous. But at the same time, this team has rebounded so well each and every time. I think the top of the list is probably Lane Johnson, just because the depth on that offensive line is so thin. But I'm worried about losing another leader, too, since we've already lost, you know, Chris Maragos and um, Jason Peters, two of our captains. And to have, you know, another captain like maybe a Malcolm Jenkins or a Brandon Graham go down, I think that would hurt the team just as much as well. Yeah, yeah, Jesse, they, they, certainly uh, Jenkins, uh, I think when you look at how versatile he is and the, the number of roles, whether it's a uh, safety, nickel, or even at times linebacker that he's filled for this defense, if he were to go down, uh, that, that'd be a huge blow. And you know, certainly Lane Johnson right up there as well, uh, given how – thin the Eagles uh, depth on the offensive line has been but Tucker Tucker what about you um I agree with Jesse this team is has taken a lot of bumps and you wonder how 
how much further they can just keep this train rolling before it starts to fall apart. But uh, but the one name I keep coming back to when, when thinking about this is Lane Johnson. Um, you know, they, they've lost their top linebacker. Like like Jesse said, Cox is out a few games. They've lost their left tackle. Um, but, but the number one guy I think they can least afford to lose right now simply because of the depth issues on this team is Lane Johnson. If Lane Johnson goes down, your your new right tackle is either Isaac Sayamalu, who who couldn't hold down the left guard spot at the beginning of the year and got replaced by Chance Hornback and Stephen Wisniewski, or it's Will Beattie, who has played six games in the last two years and just joined the team 48 hours ago. So I think Lane Johnson right now, if he were to go down, the uh, the offensive line would, would certainly struggle, and you wonder how much longer they'd be able to keep Carson Wentz upright. Yeah, absolutely, Tucker. And the one other name that I'll throw in there, guys, is uh, Nigel Bradham on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, because I think uh, Bradham really, really, really has had such a strong season at this point. I think his level of play has has been a huge reason why the Eagles haven't missed Jordan Hicks more to this point. And if you were to lose Bradham for any like extended period of time, uh, I mean, Michael Kendricks probably becomes your guy in the middle, which isn't a role that uh he maybe is best suited for and especially given Kendrick's own uh injury history durability it really leaves you thin out there I mean and you have guys and Joe Walker and Najee Good and, and now now Ellerby would be in the mix as well but and, and none of those guys um playing anything other than a, a pretty minor role probably probably about what uh Walker has played like through in the first few games since Jordan Hicks went down like no, nothing Nothing other than a small role for any of those guys. I mean, if you overexpose any of them, you're kind of asking for trouble there. But now, guys, moving on to this weekend, Eagles, fresh off the bye week, go out to Dallas to play the Cowboys, who who are very very possibly getting towards a desperation mode at this point. I mean, Dallas coming off of a bad loss to the Atlanta Falcons last weekend, giving them another loss within the conference. I mean, they're they're as of right now, Dallas isn't even – doesn't even have a hold on one of the wild card spots, uh, let alone in contention for the NFC East. But uh, and also Dallas, <laughs> boy, um, the Ezekiel Elliott suspension finally has, or at least temporarily, has run out of appeals. And one of the most, um, honestly, one of the most ridiculous uh, legal situations that I mean, I've ever seen involving the NFL. I mean, I just uh, as Elliott finally lost the appeal of the appeal of the appeal of the appeal of the appeal and has now begun searching, uh, serving his uh, six-game suspension. And, and right away, Dallas felt that loss. I mean, Alfred Morris uh, wasn't able to give them much, and uh, rookie Rod Smith uh, played over veteran Darren McFadden and didn't bring a lot to the table either in the first game. And making things even more complicated was that they were also without their left tackle, Tyron Smith, last weekend. And, and Adrian Claiborne just had himself a field day against the Dallas offensive line, sacking Dak Prescott six times. And so, so Dallas, Dallas, and, and not to mention on top of everything else, they also last weekend lose Sean Lee, who is the heart and soul of their defense to a hamstring injury. And he's out for this weekend as well. So Dallas comes in this game pretty banged up, like a much different team from what they were even just a couple weeks ago. So guys, how do you see this one playing out? Um, Tucker, we'll get your take first. You know, before last week, I thought this would be a close game. Even even without Elliott, I thought thought Prescott and that offensive line and even their defense, I thought had been playing 
pretty all right, would would be able to keep up with the Eagles. Um, but losing Tyron Smith, as you said, who's sort of questionable for Sunday, I highly doubt he plays. Um, and Sean, Sean Lee is going to be out a few weeks. I just don't see them having enough firepower on either side of the ball to to keep up with the Eagles or, or beat the Eagles. I think I think that Prescott's a good young quarterback, but but he really is without any sort of protection around him, without Elliott, without Tyron Smith. Um, a lot of people were criticizing his his play on Sunday, and it certainly wasn't his best game. But but it's hard to hard to make good throws when you take a three step drop, and at the top of that drop, Adrian Claiborne is already on your back. Um, so I think the Cowboys certainly have a lot of work to do to adjust to get better from what they what they put on the field on Sunday. But I still think the Eagles coming off the bye, they're healthy, they're rolling, and I think they know the importance of this game. If they win this game, the division is all but locked up, you know, before before the calendar even turns to December. So I think the Eagles win. They probably win probably about seven to ten points, and and the division is locked up before we even get to Thanksgiving. Yeah, Tucker. You know, one thing going back to the left tackle situation for Dallas. I mean, I I never understand with these teams because we've seen uh, several times. You know, you go go back to the Winston Justice game in the Eagles case where uh, defense defensive end is just allowed to run wild the entire game, and and these teams like they and you know, like I, you know, I, I thought it was just Andy Reid that just for whatever reason was clueless about giving uh, the struggling left tackle some some kind of help whether it be from a tight end or a running back on the other side but uh, I mean uh, but apparently I mean this is this is a thing around the league I mean you've seen it with uh, the Dallas Cowboys now with uh, Jazz Green out there being left on an island and uh, I, I, want, I, I would think that would have to change for them this weekend but uh, he, I don't know. I would. I almost wouldn't be surprised to see him just left out there to dry again. But Jesse, what about you? What's your take on the game? I thought it'd be a little bit closer too. Uh, I expected to see Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden have really good weeks last week. The Falcons' run defense isn't really anything to write home about, and even without Tyron Smith, there's enough pieces on that line that they shouldn't have had a problem running the ball. Um, Morris and McFadden, I looked at as two guys that could start for other teams in the NFL right now, and that's their backups, but really neither one got anything going. And then the defense in Dallas have never really been sold on this year. I know about David Irvin and Demarcus Lawrence having good years, but I felt that they weren't really tested. Atlanta was probably the best offensive line they had played against all season, and they didn't have a very good day. Uh, you know, anchored by Alex Mack and Ryan Schrader, the Falcons were able to pretty much do what they wanted on offense. And now you look at an Eagles offense that just hung 50 points on what was the best defense in football before they just got, you know, hammered again by the Patriots. But now you're coming in. This team was pumped up for that game. You know they're pumped up for this game. They've been saying it. Um, Lane Johnson actually talked smack to his grandmother about it, you know, coming into this one. He really wants to beat the Cowboys. The whole team does. And I think the Eagles will come in ready to play after the bye, and they're going to hang a big number on the Cowboys. Is Grandma Johnson a Cowboys fan? Yeah, he said he's from Texas, and uh, he, <laughs> he used an expletive to describe what he said to her, but I won't repeat it here, but he was not happy with her support of the Cowboys. Oh, geez, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but, uh, and, but yeah, and, and as for me, guys, I, I agree with you both. I feel the Eagles come out on top in this game. Uh, Dallas, to me, I, I don't think they're – I just don't think they they match up well with um, what the Eagles are, are doing well at the moment. When given the fact that uh, 
they weren't able to get, on, get anything going on the ground last week with with uh, Morris and Rod Smith, and uh, McFadden was only on the field for a couple snaps. Um, the Eagles defend the run better than anyone in the NFL right now, and I, and without Elliott, I, I I don't see the Cowboys getting anything going on the ground. And and really, I mean, kind of what's kind of gotten lost about uh, the Dallas Cowboys is just how they've really for a while now have just struggled to really get Des Bryant involved like as a, as a, as a featured piece in their offense. I mean, it's been like well over a year and a half at this point, I believe since the guys had a hundred yard yards in a game. And, and really, I think the guy, I think, I think he was probably the guy that uh, probably lost the most. Like once uh, Tony Romo was uh, phased out as the starting quarterback over there, like he and Dak Prescott just never have been able to click on quite the same level that he and Romo once did. And and I mean, it, and I I don't see that picking up any more this week than it has all season. So I mean, if if Dallas can't run the ball and Dak Prescott is constantly under siege from a, a defensive line that's loaded with uh, all kinds of different pass rushers, and 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 then you also throw into the the equation that Dallas missing their uh, again the key piece of their defense and Sean Lee and th- this to me is a game that the Eagles fresh off the bye and uh, with the matchups in their favor should absolutely win and put a bow on the NFC East uh, just before Thanksgiving but that's going to do it for us this week on the K-Lot podcast for Tucker Bagley and Jesse Larch I'm Denny Basins we thank you guys so much for listening and we will talk to you all next week